Hello and welcome to The Interview, a new podcast by Mediaite. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite, and each week I'm going to be interviewing a top figure in media and politics. We're launching this new project a few months from the presidential election during a global pandemic. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm joined for our premiere episode by Tucker Carlson. You may know him from the 8 p.m. hour of Fox News. Tucker, thanks for joining us. Oh, this is the premiere episode? First episode. Damn. Well, I'm flattered. Thanks for having me. I just want to talk, uh, you know, about your show to, to kick things off. Um, in the second quarter of 2020, Tucker Carlson Tonight was the highest rated show in cable news history. Uh, you are now consistently one of the most watched people on television. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit why you think that is. Well, I don't, I mean, I, I, I mean, the short answer is I don't think about it very much. I try not to have macro thoughts about myself or the show ever, if I can, because that leads to self-awareness, which leads to self-consciousness, which leads to unhappiness. So I'm not, you know, I don't have a good answer for you. My instinct is, you know, we're not really doing anything different. It's just that everybody else is too afraid to say obvious things. And Mm -hmm. so we're probably winning by default. You know, I mean, a lot of pretty unusual things have happened. And I think there are likely, you know, at least 150 million people who think they're appalling. But the crackdown on speech has been so overwhelming, so severe, so total, um, that nobody can express that. And we're just in this unusual position where we can say what we think is true. And so we do. And so that makes us stick out in a way that we didn't before. That's my guess. And I suppose, uh, do you think that other outlets are perhaps a little bit more restricted in what they can say? Um, I guess that the opposite side of the coin there. Well, I know for a fact, <laughs> I know. I, in fact, I'm one of the few living Americans who can say with authority that that's true because I've hosted, um, you know, primetime shows uh, on all the, all the channels. So yeah, I can, I can say that authoritatively. I mean, Fox has a different audience from MSNBC and CNN, clearly. Um, though there's more overlap than people know, but you know, it's, it's people looking for something different who tune into Fox, but Fox has a great deal, as you know, from covering it, a great deal of intellectual diversity within it. You know, there are people who disagree with each other and they're allowed to coexist. That's not the case on the other channels. You can't, you know, CNN doesn't have someone who can stand up and say, you know, I think Joe Biden is, is getting soft. I mean, you'd be pulled off the air for saying that you, you couldn't say that. So, um, we're, I, and you know, none of this has anything to do with me. I don't make the rules at the, at the channels. I don't own one. Um, I'm just fortunate enough to work at one where, you know, they tell you not to say things that are incorrect. They tell you not to be irresponsible to try to use, you know, decorum and good taste and all that, but then they, they pretty much leave you alone or not pretty much, they leave you alone. And so that's a wonderful, that used to be prized by the way. I mean, I'm 51. I've done this for 30 years. Journalists used to always, when they had a couple of drinks, talk about their dream job and it would always entail being left alone by the editor, <laughs> excuse me, the editor, the publisher, by the people in charge. You know, I, I just want to, I just want to do my thing. I just want to, write my story. I want to say what I think is true. And I want to be left alone. That, that was the dream. And there really aren't many places left where you can have that. And Fox is one of them. 
I, th- I think also there's something to be said uh, with regards to your show for the particular moment in time. Um, the Republican Party was forced into some pretty uh, radical changes since 2015. Uh, I think a lot of orthodoxies from, on issues from foreign policy to economics have been overturned. Um, there was a pretty huge rift in the party, and it's all you know, almost entirely embraced Trumpism, from what I can tell. Do you think that your show, which launched, I should say, just after the election of Donald Trump, has benefited from that shift or has tracked it in any way? Well, for sure. I mean, I I don't think the Republican Party has embraced Trumpism. That's for certain. I think they're afraid of Trump. um, And so they don't want to tangle with Trump or get crossways with Trump. But I certainly don't think they've embraced populism or Trumpism, whatever that is. I don't even think it's been clearly articulated. Um, But no, 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 they hate Trump's ideas. They hate what Trump ran on in 2016. Um, They really hate it in D.C. I can promise you that. And I'm including in the they, you know, people who work for the Republican Party, people who work at the White House. I mean, they're not on board at all, of course, with the idea that, you know, the wages of middle-class workers are like a key priority that, you know, pointless wars are destructive to the country. You know, the, just the basic five ideas, four ideas that he articulated in 2016, they hate those ideas and they hate them every bit as much now as they ever did. It, the reason Trump got elected is because the public likes those ideas. And in fact, if Trump was able to get out of the way of his own ideas or explain them with clarity, you know, he'd be at 65%. There's always been, because it comports with human nature, a huge and avid audience for, I mean, just to reduce it to the most basic terms, economic populism and social conservatism. And by conservatism, I don't mean, you know, evangelical Christianity. I mean, you know, the idea that when things change really abruptly, weak people get hurt and most people are weak. They don't want to be hurt. Most people don't want radical change. They don't want to wake up one morning in, in a country they don't recognize. Why would they want that? You know, single people in cities like that because it amuses them and it gives variety to their lives and there's no cost. But for people with families and wage jobs living outside Brooklyn, like that's scary. And, and by the way, this is not some racial code. It's like all people feel that way. That's just, that's just the way people are. And so a candidate who stands up and says, you know, we're just not going to like overturn the existing order tomorrow, actually. And what we are going to do is make certain that we don't have these massive wealth disparities, because that's clearly not good. You don't need to be Bernie Sanders to see that. It's not good when, you know, the country goes bankrupt and Jeff Bezos makes $50 billion in the same period. Like that's, that's a sign of unhealth. That's a sign that something's really wrong and it causes your society to become volatile. And people understand that intuitively. And that was essentially Trump's pitch. He didn't say that quite the way I just did, but that's really what he was saying. And that's a very popular platform because it's true. And, and, and as I said, Trump has gotten in the way of that. You know, Trump the man has gotten in the way of that idea or those ideas, but it doesn't change the fact that those are really popular and always have been. This is not a new thing at all. They've always... There's always been a huge market for that. And the frustrating thing about American democracy is, as far as I can tell, the majority has never really gotten what it wanted or hasn't in a long time. So anyway, um, all of these underlying tensions, as far as I can tell, remain unresolved. 
And we're going to have to wait till Trump is gone, probably, to sort it all out. But I, I definitely, this is a very long-winded answer to a crisp question, but let me say, <laughs> I don't believe the Republican Party is on board with Trump's 2016 campaign promises. I am on board with them. And to the extent I'm, I'm dissatisfied with Trump, it's because he hasn't fulfilled them. But I still believe that because I think it's true. You uh, have been deeply critical of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's one of the scientists leading the government response to the pandemic. That wasn't well, all okay. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't. I've been I've been I'm not mad at <laughs> I don't have like some animus against Fauci. You, I don't you have strong feelings about show. Fauci the man. Earlier this year, you've soured on him since, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, it's not. But again, I just want to be clear. It's not. I just kind of reject this whole like it's about the guy thing. It's like, OK, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I disagree with. A lot of things, you know, Fauci's 79 years old, mm-hmm. probably shouldn't be in this job in the first place. I'll be long dead by 79. I'm not criticizing him, but that's, you know, it's pretty old for to be doing what he's doing. And, you know, I think some things he said are just are silly. And I think he loves the attention, obviously. I don't think he's an evil guy. I've never said that. I don't think it. But I don't really think it's about Fauci. <laughs> he's just kind of going along with stuff. I think we're clearly not making public policy decisions based on science. And that's, you know, that should bother all of us a lot because it's scary. What gives you that impression that he's not sort of making? What do you mean? What gives me that impression about Fauci or about the decisions that we're making? I mean, your criticisms when you're on your show tend to be directed towards Fauci the man. His photo shows up. No, that's just not true. I'm. I'm, I'm there every night. I comment on the criticisms. I'm saying criticisms of, of, of his recommendations and his, the comments that he No, made. I mean, I've, I've tried. Yeah, I've, <clears throat> I have criticized Fauci um, for sure, and I'd be happy to continue doing so if I think he deserves it. But it's not – I just want to be clear. It's not about Fauci. I'm not – you know, uh, yeah, I've criticized him. And, and I'm, again, I'm happy – he is a public servant. He is making decisions that affect me and my family. I have an absolute right as an American to – critique his decisions right of course of course that's i guess not taken for granted so let me just assert it because i possess it that right but um but again it's not about fauci yeah i mean i could tell you silly things fauci has said it okay but but that's not my my main complaint is not about fauci Mm -hmm. my main complaint is that the coronavirus lockdowns which i believe were initiated in good faith have not continued on the basis of the scientific evidence and instead, not surprisingly, have been leveraged by politicians to increase their own power. Now, again, we shouldn't be shocked by this because that's what they do for a living. It's just that there's been this, you know, and this is a larger conversation about the about the, the rise in moralizing in American life. It's like no one can have a rational conversation. Everything is a, is a contest between, you know, people trying to demonstrate their moral superiority. But you know, are making a lot of decisions that aren't rooted in science, and other countries aren't doing it, which tells you a lot. I mean, other countries, Europe is not shutting down its schools and daycare centers. It's not. And it's not making people wear masks alone outside. There's no evidence. That, cite a study that shows that that is a meaningful way to stop transmission of this or any other virus. There isn't a study that says that. Like that that's not root, there's no evidence that we need to do that. 
And if you think I'm wrong, tell me where I'm wrong. I'm not wrong, so far as I know. And so that should make everybody nervous. It's not about Trump, because not everything is about Trump. It's, it's about the country. And if you can scare people sufficient that you can force them to do irrational things, then, you know, we should be worried about that. We really should. I mean, just as a general matter, you know, uh, you know, ice cream, boo, and steal your, steal your wallet. I mean, that's, that's a time-tested maneuver. I've seen that before, and we should not let our leaders get away with that on either side. Do you, don't you think? No, I agree. Um, and I think, you know, there's other countries, you mentioned Europe, um, you know, they, of course, do not have outdoor mask mandates um, in any country that I know of in Europe. Um, but countries like France did have quite an aggressive shutdown. I mean, I remember in, in France, there was a time where you couldn't leave your home without a permission slip. Um, and this is not, I mean, just to be clear, I'm not, I'm not arguing that the coronavirus isn't serious. I think it is serious. Look at the death numbers. It's serious. Of course it is. It's a public health problem. And I'm only saying that the details matter. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to say, you know, I'm afraid of something, therefore you must do this. The question is, well, why must, you know, how will doing this mitigate the thing you say I must be afraid of? And I think it's fair to ex- expect a rational response, and we're not getting one. What do, you, we're getting do you think is, the administration has, has done a good job in handling it? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think they, they certainly haven't communicated very well. I would say that about a lot of different things. Um, I think they, I think there's overwhelming scientific evidence that the damage done to kids, and by the way, nobody commenting on this since I have kids, so nobody cares, but I have kids, and so I care. The damage done to kids by closing schools is far more serious, measurably, than the potential damage of the virus on those kids. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody who's looked at the numbers who has come to a different conclusion. So if I were the administration, you know, I, I would do all I could to keep kids from being punished for political reasons. It's just clear this is, this is political. I mean, Franklin Templeton, have you heard of Franklin Templeton? It's an, invest, it's an investment firm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've got... I don't know, billion, 600 billion or something. They've got a lot of money under management. So like all these firms, they do pretty detailed studies on what's happening in the country because it, it makes it easier to make smart investments. Okay. So this is like pretty common. So a lot of these investment firms do studies. So Franklin Templeton just released it. They weren't making a political point, but they found that Americans basically have no idea what the death rate is from COVID-19, and they don't know who's at risk. So on average, Americans believe that young people, you know, 44 and younger, account for a third of coronavirus deaths. And that's not even close. The reality is no. the, the real number is under 3%. So how do they, this is a disease that we've been studying very carefully, assiduously for six months. How does the public reach a perception that's so far from reality? And the answer, obviously, is they're being lied to. And then the question is, well, why are they being lied to? Why would, why would anyone lie about that? It's all publicly available data. And the answer is because they're benefiting from it. That's why people lie. That's why we all lie, because we benefit from it. So that should make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Like, I'm not saying this isn't serious. It's very serious. But not everybody 
faces the same risk, not even close. Some people face virtually no risk. Some people face a very high risk. An 80-year-old emphysema patient is really in danger. You know, a 13-year-old girl is not. But we can't say that. Well, why can't we say that? And the media ought to be leading the charge for transparency, for honesty, for a data-driven, science-based response to coronavirus. It's not, are you a denier? You don't take it seriously? What? No. Because I take it seriously, and speaking for myself, I think I was one of the first people in media to take it seriously. I think maybe I'm flattering myself, but I think I was. I took it really seriously. I still do. And because I do, I think that we need to be rational and science-based in our response to it. And so I'm actually struck by how the lack of seriousness, people are like, oh, well, whatever, it's a mandate from the government and the disease is scary, so just shut up and do it or else you're not patriotic. That's what Joe Biden said the other day. You're not patriotic if you don't wear a mask. Really? How dare you say something like that? And why is nobody, I'm not patriotic. No, on what, anyway. You think Trump is taking it seriously? Where's the science, by the way, for telling people to wear masks outdoors? Did anyone ask that question? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think we've ever advocated for masks outdoors personally, but uh, if a politician stands up, Trump gets up. And if Trump says something scientifically questionable, the media pound on him, which they should. People in authority should not use misuse science for political reasons, period. Mm -hmm. And when Trump gets caught doing that, he gets beat over the head with it. Fine with me. Joe Biden just said that he's going to initiate a national mandate for masks outside. There is no evidence that that is required, that it's beneficial. There's certainly evidence that it's bad. Fresh air is good for you. Breathing your own carbon dioxide is not. It's like actually insane. And nobody said anything about it. It's like, this is how, dude, this is bad. This is not, I mean, I guess I'm old enough to remember a country that didn't work this way, but you can't have, you can't have the media working on behalf of the powerful in the way they are now, which is exactly what's going on. The real power centers, there are many power centers in this country. One of them is the White House. The White House gets a ton of scrutiny. I think they get unfairly attacked. They also get fairly attacked. But it's fine with me. That doesn't really bother me that much. You never hear me screaming like, oh, they're being mean to Trump. You know, he's a politician. You know, I'm honest about how I feel about what he says. I agree with a lot of it. Some I don't. But whatever, he's a politician. If people are mean to him, you know, those are the breaks. That, you know, that's what it is. What really upsets me and makes me feel like moving is when I see the media, the watchdog, the people who should be holding the powerful to account, sucking up to the other power centers, whether it's the monopolies in Silicon Valley, whether it's the finance community, whether it's the Intel world, federal law enforcement, the Democratic Party, you know, everyone on the other side, they don't get any scrutiny. Like, what the hell is this? It's the media acting as the Praetorian Guard, as bodyguards for the powerful. And I just feel like that will have very bad consequences over time. Very, very bad. Very bad. That is an abandonment of our duty as journalists. Mm -hmm. Now, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Blake Neff, if I could. Um, He was the head writer of your show for more than three years, and then he resigned last month. He was the head writer? 
That's what CNN reported. Um, I would have expected oh, you to deny well, it I if he wasn't. You can ask me, but um, sure. <laughs> uh, how many was he the head writer of the show? show? He was a writer on the show. A writer. I on the write show. a lot of the show. He was a. We don't have a head writer. I mean, there's no such sure. title, but whatever. Yeah, he worked on the show for three and years ish. So CNN reported that he was posting racist and sexist comments anonymously online. Um, you addressed the resignation on your show and your comments were, I'd say, more defiant than contrite. Um, obviously, you didn't write these things, but what did you make of the ordeal? What should I have been contrite for? Well, I mean, I think people were expecting you to perhaps apologize for the things that your writer was writing online. Why would I apologize for something that someone else wrote that I didn't know about? Well, I'm the editor of Mediaite. I would probably apologize if it turned out that one of my writers was posting horrifically racist and sexist things under a pseudonym. Well, that's up, that's up to you. I mean, I, I said what I believe, as mm-hmm. always, which is I didn't agree with what Blake wrote. I told him that. He left the show as a result of it. He lost his job. And what he wrote had no effect at any level on the show. It had nothing to do with the show. It was wholly distinct from the show. If I had an employee that, you know, was doing something criminal, for example, I would be horrified by that on many levels. I'd be upset because I know the person. I'd be upset because I disagree with what the person did. I'd be embarrassed for him and personally. I mean, just all the things that you would feel. But I don't think anyone would think that that person's, you know, armed robbery had anything to do with the editorial product on the show because it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear. And if it wasn't clear, then it's clear now because Blake's been gone a month and I don't think the tone has changed because I write the open like I always have. And every word on the show that comes out of my mouth is my view. And my views are totally, you know, you may hate them, doubtless you do, but they're transparent. Like, I don't hide what I think. I don't lie about what I think. I try not to lie at all. I probably do sometimes. I try not to. Um, but it's wholly unrelated to the show. I'm responsible for the show. So if you don't like the show, don't blame Blake Neff. It's not his fault. It's my fault. Everything that is, by the way, it's not even... You know, it's it's 100% my fault what's on the show. So, you know, if you've got a problem with it, blame me. Don't blame some, you know, kid in his 20s who's now unemployed. I mean, you I don't seem to you feel blame me. bad for him to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I made it pretty clear what I thought. I didn't uh, like what he said. I didn't agree with it. I told him that. And, um, you know, and I hated to see, and I said this on the air and I guess it, it offended the normal, you know, the, the self-righteous Muppets who were jumping up and down those kids at CNN, unhappiest people maybe in the world, you know, who got for a moment to feel like they were morally superior to somebody else. And that's what they get off on or whatever. I just reject that whole way of looking at the world, that whole way of living, where you jump up and down, like, I'm a good person. I'm like this person. Then you denounce someone. And it's like, I read the crucible. 
like I know this has been go- this is a feature of human nature, but I'm not participating in that crap. You know what I mean? And by the way, I, I, I couldn't get over this. It's like, here's a kid nobody's ever heard of. He doesn't have a byline, unlike you. And he did something wrong. Which I would never, I didn't, I wouldn't defend it and I didn't. He did something wrong. I said it plainly, I'll say it again now. But like, people, you know, pound on him. Okay, that's fine. You know, he did something wrong. That's to take your lumps. I get it. But there are people in positions of like power and authority of great wealth and they can do basically anything and nobody cares because people are too afraid to confront the powerful. As you well know, it's very easy to beat up on. I remember there was some woman in New York who was a few years ago. She was like one of the first people destroyed by the social media mob. And she was taking off for Joburg, I think. And she wrote, Something mm. awful about AIDS, like an AIDS joke. It was, it was, it was actually not funny, and it was cringeworthy. I get it. She but by the time she landed, she was like, "I'm sorry." She had 70 followers, I believe, at the time she sent that. Yeah. Okay. So you remember this story? You remember this, right? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and I didn't know anything about, you know, I had no connection to this whatsoever. But I was just watching from the sidelines as usual, and I remember thinking, "Well, that's a pretty ugly joke." You know, I would never say that, and it's not even funny. However, no one ever heard of this woman. And now she's like the designated, you know, per, you know, it's like the lottery. It's like, oh, sorry, it's your turn. We're going to stone you to death. It's like, okay, I get it. There's a, there's a, there's a mob impulse. There's a sort of like, you know, lynchings are not just race-based. There's like a universal thing. And people are just that way. Like, oh, who are we beating up today? But why is that impulse never trained on the powerful? Like, for real, like Jeffrey Epstein was just sort of out in the open. And, and he had all these famous people coming over and these, you know, Vanity Fair had the full goods on him. And they didn't print it because he was rich and powerful. And it's like, I don't know. Why have a media then? If you're too gutless to tell the truth about people with power, not kids who say shitty things on the Internet, but people with actual power who are hurting other people. You don't have the balls to call that out. Then why don't you go sell aluminum siding or do something useful with your life? Like, why are you in my business? Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? If you don't have the courage to do that, then you really should be doing something else. I mean it. Mm-hmm. Now, just, just one more question on this, if I could. Uh, you said that his comments online had nothing to do with the show. Um, but he, he did say once in an interview that he wrote the first draft of everything you read from a prompter. Now, I don't know if that's true. Um, he could have been boasting, but I think it's strange credulity for a lot of people when you say that the personal beliefs of your writer had nothing to do with the content of the show that he was writing. Um, you know, these were political, cultural views. No, he wasn't the, show, a chef. the show is about, I mean, again, the show has my name on it. It's live and I don't tape my show. So it's always live five days a week. And I'm the one doing the talking. So if you don't like what's on the show, you can blame me. I also have, as I said, you know, 30 years of output. I mean, it's all publicly available. I was a writer. I've written some books. I've written hundreds of magazine pieces. I've written scripts, you know, every day for decades. And it's all available on Nexus. So, you know, you can find out what I think. It's like I'm not hiding it at all. And I don't really understand... I I get why people don't like what Blake wrote. I didn't like what Blake wrote on the internet. Okay. 
But my show is my responsibility. I did it. And if you don't like it, don't blame him. Blame me. And do it to my face. That's how I feel about it. Why? Yeah. Why? You know what I mean? You don't like my views. I mean, the show reflects my views. Period. I think what, not, what happened was is that a lot of people traced a through line between these kind of things that he was writing and, you know, segments yeah. like the controversial one about white supremacy being a hoax. My position night after night has been really clear. It is, and it was my position I articulated to you a minute ago, and I've said it a hundred times on the show. It is immoral for the government to punish people or reward people on the basis of immutable characteristics, on the basis of their genes, the way they look, their skin color. That is immoral. I make... In fact, I think I'm the only host who does this. I make an affirmative case against racism I mean, virtually every night. I'm appalled that the Democratic Party is trying to eliminate the anti-discrimination amendment to the California state constitution. I am opposed to that. No one has ever engaged me on this, not one time. And instead, in order to get me to be quiet and stop pointing out the most basic of all contradictions, which is you can't be against racism if you're committing it, they call me names in order to get me pulled off the air and silenced. And maybe someday they'll succeed. But I am not intimidated in the slightest. I'm not going to stop. My views are never hidden. They're not especially nuanced. They're not especially deep. I'm not a philosopher. I'm a talk show host. I say things that were universally accepted in the country I grew up in not that long ago. And I'll continue to say them until I die unless someone can convince me that I'm wrong. So that's it. There, I don't have a weird hidden agenda. I don't have some secret Twitter account. I don't even like the Internet. I don't hide really anything. I'm, I'm totally out there. And so this, it's this weird kind of like well, but what you're really saying, no, what I'm really saying is what I'm saying. I've done a bunch of shows. One thing I really care about strongly, maybe more than anything, is nature. And I live you know, around nature and I experience it every day. And I hunt and I'm in boats all the time and I fish. I try to fish every day. I really care about nature. I'm interested in it. I've been this way all my life. I can't stand pollution. Like I, and I mean it. And including litter. I hate litter. I don't think you should despoil nature with your garbage. I don't think you should throw McDonald's bags out the window. I don't think you should throw six packs of beer in the woods. I don't. I think it's wrong. And I've said that because I really mean it. I thought that most people felt that way. I've been denounced as a bigot for saying that repeatedly. It's insane. And I don't really know what, you know, I don't take it seriously at this point. Because it's so irrational that I, I guess it's not really worth engaging. But if you want to know what I think about race, I'll tell you every single night. And I mean it from the core. That's what I tell my children. To the extent I've talked about it with them, discrimination is wrong. People can't control who their parents were, much less their DNA. Therefore, you have to judge people on the basis of what they do, not how they look, period. I thought that was the American ideal. And now I'm watching the Democratic Party say, no, no, no. The primary way you judge people is on the basis of their skin color. What? 
That's freaking insane. By the way, it's racist by definition. This hasn't seemed to come to the attention of media, but that is the definition of racism. And, and I just think it's wrong. And I think it's wrong when someone who calls himself conservative says it. I think it's wrong when someone who calls himself, I don't care what you call yourself. I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think those efforts to get you taken off the air, uh, do you ever worry that they'll succeed? You know, I mean, I don't want to be taken off the air. I love what I do. I'm grateful for the opportunity I have. I fell into it, you know, totally by accident. I'd been fired from MSNBC. I bounced around. I've been underemployed. I've been broke. I mean, I've kind of gone, you know, up and down like most adults, I guess. Or certainly, certainly I have. And, uh, and I fell into this through a series of accidents. The people who had the shows I got left for various reasons. And so the reason I'm saying that is because I think life is like that. I think you're not really in control. And a lot of what we spend our time doing is designed to preserve the illusion that we are. But I don't have that illusion. And that's one of the things, by the way, you learn from nature. You learn that you're not in control. It's not your world. You're passing through it. And you can only control, you know, a small percentage of your life. And so, so anyway, the point is that I can't foresee the future. I don't even try. I don't waste any time doing that. I'm, uh, I've, I love what I do. I'm grateful for the chance to do it. I'm always going to say what I think because I think that's my job and it's the, it's the, it's the joy of it. I mean, that's where the, the deep animal sa- satisfaction comes from expressing something you really believe. I mean, that is a, that's a, that, that's a basic reward. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I can tell you I disagree with censorship. And I, you know, I guess I've given up being shocked at the idea that liberals aren't liberal. I'm liberal. I believe in debate. I believe in openness. I believe in competition. You disagree with what I'm saying? Tell me why. Let's talk it through. And maybe you're right. I don't know. I've certainly changed my opinion a lot of times on a lot of different issues. Name one, I probably changed my view of it because I've been in this world of debating things, talking them through for so many years that I've been exposed to a lot of compelling arguments and a lot of evidence. And I'm actually interested in science. So I'm, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm certainly winnable. I'm swayable. I'm not especially ideological at all. So nobody wants to do that because it's not about convincing anyone. It's about controlling them. It's about being in charge. And it's the ugliest kind of impulse. And again, it's the impulse that we as journalists exist to keep in check. That's our job is to keep the people in power from crushing the population. And anyway, we're not doing that. Now, one last question I have. Uh, There was a report recently that Republicans are, quote, buzzing about you possibly running for president in 2024. Um, I have to ask, is that something that you would consider? I mean, I, you know, I've, I've never run for I mean, I've never been involved in anything like that. I've never wanted to be involved in anything like that. I'm a pretty, un, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you this, I'm completely committed to saying what I think is true. Um, and politics is a hard place to do that. I love what I'm doing. I'm grateful to work at Fox. I'm not just saying that. 
I've worked at a lot of places. I never said I'm grateful to work at CNN because I never was. Um, so, you know, I've got a contract that extends a, a while and, um, and I plan to be here. And I also like, if, you know, imagine a country where like I'm considered a serious candidate for something. It's just hard to imagine anything like that. That's just not the Donald way I think. Donald Trump not... is President Tucker. I think we're, we're past that Rubicon. Well, <laughs> well, I would say this. I'm not partisan. Everyone else seems, everyone else claims I'm not partisan, but they're all deeply partisan. It's like whatever the, whatever benefits the team, you know, they're for, they'll ignore, you know, they'll ignore things that cut against the interest of the team or whatever. I'm just not like that temperamentally. I'm just at a gut level. I'm not that way. So it would be very hard for me to, to in midlife change my temperament. You know, if I think something, I mean, they're, I got in a, you know, attacked by a bunch of the guardians of pure thinking on the right for saying that I thought Elizabeth Warren's book called the two income trap, which was a great book in a lot of ways was great because it was great. And I quoted parts of it on the air because I thought that they were so smart and true in one sentence. She wrote a whole book with her daughter about how the shift in America from single income families, mostly where the man works and the woman raises the kids to dual income families, shafted everyone and made everyone poor except big companies who were the beneficiaries of that move. And that's true. And it's a very basic change in American life that we've all kind of ignored because we only focus on peripheral issues. But I thought that was a, a deep and insightful thing to say. And so I complimented Elizabeth Warren. Now, I don't, I'm not a fan of Elizabeth Warren's I think she's kind of awful, actually. But that was true. And I wasn't embarrassed to say so. Why would I be? I don't work for anyone. You, do you know what I mean? So that's the way my mind works. And I don't think it, it's ever going to change. So it's, it's hard to operate in a political sphere if you think that way, because the political sphere is inherently partisan. That's the way the system is arranged. Well, I don't think I heard a hard no there, but uh, we'll end it there. Um, no, I'm not running for any. Come on. There we go. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Mediaites The Interview. Next week, I'll be speaking with CNN host Don Lemon. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and look out for coverage on Mediaite.com. We hope to see you next week.